Hey, Dad, what do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up, and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge, you grab the bull by the horns, you find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there, and you get to that little clubhouse there, and they've always got the candy bar options, and I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer, and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice-cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to DraftKings Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That's me. We got a great Wednesday show for you. We recorded a Wilder Wednesday with our good friend Charlotte Wilder. We talked some Celtics and Knicks action from last night in the NBA. Commissioner's new comments about the midseason tournament that he's all jacked up about. And some exciting news out of the NFL. Um... But we did record before the suspension for Draymond Green came down, so did want to make sure we got that in here. Um, anyone missed it, the league announced that Draymond Green would be suspended for Game 3 coming up on Thursday uh, as Golden State heads back to chase down 0-2. Critical juncture, huge blow for their team, another instance of Draymond Green 
missing in a pivotal playoff moment in a way that's going to absolutely adversely affect Golden State and certainly affect this series. And that part's a bummer. It's the reason I wasn't rooting for a suspension because I don't want anything to take away from what Sacramento's doing. They've played incredibly all season and through the first two games against the defending champion Warriors. And this feels like a built-in excuse, but I can't get mad at the league for doing this. I understand why I have zero problem with them handing down the suspension because Draymond was way too clear and obvious with this. They're always going to catch the second person in an altercation on court. I get that Sabonis is not innocent in all this, but one certainly outweighed the other in the way it looked on the court and the reaction we got. And the league even cited Draymond Green's history of unsportsmanlike acts as a part of the reason for this suspension, which is basically them saying, yeah, we're showing our work in proving that we can legislate intent here. You don't get the benefit of the doubt if you're Draymond Green, even if it weren't already on a playoff platform at a game where the commissioner was there. It was all too clear and obvious. We just saw the Mavs get fined for tanking very publicly in a way that didn't even try to hide it by the league. And this is another example of that. I've done a bunch of dirty stuff that I don't always feel great about at the bottom of piles on the football field. But you know not to do it where everybody can see it. And for Draymond Green, who has a history as an instigator in this league, who knows good and damn well they're always going to catch the second person, to then make it that clear and obvious, you give the league the opening to do this, and now your team's going to be without one of their best defenders going back home down 0-2 in this series. So uh, that's the latest with that. Stick around here. We got Charlotte Wilder coming up for a great show today. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Gold Jr. That is me, with me, back for another Wilder Wednesday. Charlotte Wilder. Charlotte, how you doing? Michael, fantastic. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We got a great show for you guys today. As always, download, subscribe, rate, review, leave us a five-star rating. Check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel. Make sure you are also checking out the wilderthings.substack.com. Ironed it out this time. Got it better this time, Charlotte. Feeling pretty good about the promo. You did an incredible job, Mike. Thank you. So it's so it's so lovely of you to promote it. Um, you know, I anytime I see somebody sign up, I feel incredibly grateful because it's sort of a funny thing to just like email people my thoughts. Well, all of this is really intimate. Like even getting into podcasting the way we've done on this side is so much different than radio and TV and all the big box stuff I did at ESPN where everyone's going to come there regardless and you just happen to be there. People got to actually choose you. So that's pretty gratifying. And shout out to everyone that has. We love you. I appreciate you. Yes, totally. It's like, oh my God, you guys are here. Thank Like like it's it's so corny because, you know, people always be like, I'm so grateful for everyone who listens or re... And it's like, no, but seriously, because if if you don't, (laughs) we're not here. So thank you so much. (laughs) If you don't, and I've always stressed this to people, I am good at about two things. Moving stuff, (laughs) and talking and I already missed out on the opportunity for people to pay me to move stuff uh in football and so now if people stop paying me to talk I am really up shit's creek so thank you all for continuing to fund this endeavor um can you talk while you move stuff Honestly, that one is kind of a sore spot for me or a blind spot for me because even walking, I find this out because I live at the top of a hill right now. Every time I want to come back up from the beach, I got to walk up this hill. Mm. And the other day I had a friend in town, we were walking back up and I was 
consistently out of breath the entire time on the way up. So <laughs> an incline counts the same as carrying something, which all means I'm going to be out. I, I had to help a friend move a coffee table into her apartment the other weekend. Uh-huh. And as I got to the top, I, who have been working out, trying to get ready for hot girl summer, doing yes. all these things right with my body, as soon as I had to pick something up and carry it, I immediately was reduced to ash. So no, not good at talking and carrying things. Are you? Uh, no, I don't carry things. Are you kidding me? <laughs> what What would you describe, Charlotte, as your skill set? Like, what are the things you know okay. without a shadow of a doubt you can do? Um, I know that if you put me in a room with people I don't know, I'm going to have a pretty good shot of having a good conversation with them. I'm, I'm great with strangers right off the bat for the most part. Um decent at talking uh decent at writing and um really good at training dogs and other than that i think the i i don't think there's anything else i would put on my resume is like could do this as a job training dogs what's your specialty like what are the things you can immediately get someone's dog to do if you've got enough time it's okay mike there's a basic basic tenant which is you can't repeat the command you can't be like sit 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 you have to say sit if they don't do it, you make them do it, give them a treat, and then you say, okay, and then release them from the command. I mean, it's just like, I'm not, a, there are people who dog train for a living. This is really insulting to them to, to insinuate that I could even approach their level of greatness. Why? But- That's that Caesar guy on Animal Planet or whatever who just <laughs> imitates the bite of a larger dog doesn't have sole propriety over dog training. You're allowed to blaze a trail here. Thank you so much. Okay, so I guess I would say that, like, professionally, I can talk and I can write, Um and some and like make a fool of myself on camera if you need like physical comedy. Um, and then like on the amateur level, uh, I can train your dog. Honestly, that's a powerful one and one that I don't know is a service a fair amount of people. I don't wouldn't say need because a lot of people take their dog to puppy school or get them trained wherever they like kennel them. But more often than not, it's just a thing you get to flex on other people when you're around them and their dog with you and your dog. Because there is few things more humbling than having your dog who is unable to do anything (laughs) training-wise meet up with someone who's got a really smart, well-trained dog. Because it's just a reflection of you. The dog didn't do anything. (laughs) It's purely on you. Yeah, I also want everyone listening to know I don't have a dog, so this is all pure (laughs) conjecture. (laughs) Wait! Wait, so how do you know this? Because I'm really, I'm I'm good at periodically training my parents' dog. Oh, okay, so you've got some experience. I thought you just completely pulled this out of your ass. I was very confused for a second. No, 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 grew up with dogs, always had dogs. I still consider my parents' dog sort of my dog, but she's not. She's their dog. She's she's technically my sister, as a vet once told me. Um, So that's, that's where my experience comes from. I'll tell that story another time. This is too many stories. There are too much sports to talk about, Mike. A vet, a vet told you you were your dog's sister. Not inaccurate. Not inaccurate. Uh, as someone who considers themselves a dog uncle, that makes sense. You are right, though. We got a lot of sports to get to. Um, plenty of stuff in the NBA. Adam Silver trying to make fetch happen. Uh, <laughs> some exciting news out of the NFL that we definitely want to take the time to celebrate. But Charlotte Wilder is among many things on this show, as we said, great talker, great writer, all those different things. She is also a diehard Knicks and Celtics fan. And so as we record this podcast after the Knicks suffer a 
very gross setback against the Cavaliers. But the Celtics get another big win at home against the Atlanta Hawks. Charlotte, how are you weathering the storm, balancing your two great loves? I'm going to kill you. I am not a Knicks fan. This is a narrative we need to correct immediately. I am I am engaged to a Knicks fan, which means that I have to, and I live in New York, which means I am surrounded by it. And I can't avoid it, but I'm a Celtics fan does it help my case that I'm going to the game on Friday? No, it doesn't. Am I aware of that? Yes, I am. Am I going to wear green socks? Yeah, I'm thinking about it, but I'm not I'm not an Knicks fan. I just have to watch them a lot, and maybe I have a little sweet spot for them. Okay. Understandable. The Knicks are one of the teams everyone likes when they're good. The fact that you think Madison Square Garden is the superior home destination <laughs> is what established all of this. You can't take that back. That's on wax. We've got I the know, proof. I know. But that being said, so you were watching you were watching with your fiance, you were watching with other Knicks fans. How did they digest watching Tom Thibodeau continue to wage war on players' bodies at the end of the games? We've got a game that is fully out of hand with about four or five minutes left, and you've still got Jalen Brunson, Julius Randle, plenty of starters in the game, and then we get Julius Randle going up for a layup that gets contested on the other side by the Cavaliers. Um, I, th- I think it was Allen that went up. Yep. And it was probably a little borderline of a play at that point. Allen claimed that he was going and he was going to contest the shot. But it ends up undercutting Julius Randle a little bit. Lands right in his hip. And TNT, y'all are sick for this, yeah. immediately rotates the camera over and says, they've got Derrick Rose on the bench, who yeah. Tibbs was coaching in 2012 who famously had him in a game that was out of reach far too late and began the cascade of knee injuries that ultimately undermined Derrick Rose's career. TNT, you're not slick for that. That wasn't cute, but it did underscore a point here. So how were the Knicks fans in your life digesting yet another moment of Tom Thibodeau-ery? Not well. Not well. I was was watching with my fiancé and his brother and his fiancé, which is we all need to get married to it and just be brother-in-law because those are way too many words, um, <laughs> who are all absolutely lovely people. And they were like, they were very calm. I was very impressed. I was telling them, I was like, I'm really impressed with how you guys are handling this. And they were like, look, we we won one, we, the Knicks won one in, in Cleveland. Um, and so this is basically like if they if they won two on the road, I mean, that's almost unheard of. What the Kings did against the Warriors is just like unbelievable. Um, so they were feeling okay about it. And then the Randall thing happens. And it, it's just like a lot of hands on heads and like yelling at the television. And then like the replay comes on and it just gets worse. And everyone being like, what are you doing? It's impossible to understand as a fan sitting on – the couch watching a coach make a decision that is so like without a doubt boneheaded you know what i mean where you're just like i can't begin to fathom what this man is thinking except the only like the only thing that i could think tibbs thinks when he does this routinely over you know decades almost at this point yeah. is is like does it look like i'm i'm giving up if I pull the starters, does it look like we're, and it's like, dude, you already gave up. You gave up when the Cavs went up literally 30 points on you. And when like Josh Hart is taking basketballs to the back of his head from another, Julius Randall literally slapped Jalen Brunson by accident. 
Yeah, there was a lot of people between both games getting hit in the face. It was a disaster. Every time I was flipping channel, someone was getting hit in the face. And so, you're right, you gave up when Darius Garland decided to go god mode and right. just drop dimes all over you. You gave up 107 points in this game. You gave up. The game was over. It wasn't going to happen. And listen, your fiance is absolutely right. They did their job. Stole one on the road. That's all you need to do. You flip home court advantage. It's the cliche. It's a, basically a sports talk radio segment at this point. Has the series started? Has yeah. the road team won? <laughs> and if so, then we know the series hasn't actually started. House so money, they, baby. House money. Right? They got house money right now. And it's frustrating with Tibbs because you know his justification is his way has gotten him to this point consistently over time. And when you've got something reinforced, as really an athlete, a coach, a human being, when something gets reinforced, it's like me who used to procrastinate on tests. If I walk in and get an A the next day, there's no incentive for me to do anything differently because I'm constantly being rewarded for the same behavior that's a bit troubling. And for Tibbs, it's grinding people into dust. We have known him to be this. He comes from a long line of coaches across sports like this. Jim Harbaugh was famous for this during his run at Stanford, during his time in the NFL with the 49ers, as a guy who is a pro professional jackhammer. And that's what Tibbs is. And that's why these usually have a shelf life at whatever his stops or whatever his places are. So it's one moment. Thankfully, it didn't result in anything as catastrophic as what we've seen in the oh past, but it was a reminder of what's always possible when he's your head coach. Has He He hasn't won a championship, though. Uh, no, not as a head coach, at least. Let's not see. as a head coach. And I would argue that you can't be that reckless. Like, you can't be that reckless no matter what. Like, even if he had, it's just such a dumb, it, 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 it's such, it's so dumb. It's so dumb. And even if you could argue that, like, oh, well, wait, what? What have you just discovered? Charlotte. What? Tibbs won a championship as an assistant head coach, as an associate head coach for the Boston Celtics in 2008. Holy shit. (laughs) The plot, it thickens. And he was born in New Britain, Connecticut. Connections abound for Tibbs. This is a medical He was, he was, how did I forget that? Oh, Mike. Oh, my God. Okay, well, uh, <laughs> no, it didn't go well me- after that. It didn't go well after that. And he didn't do it as a head coach. No, to quote associate- Stugatz, do it in the playoffs, do it as a head coach. Associate doesn't count there. No, 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 no. You are not the one driving that car by yourself, essentially, even though you're never really driving the car by yourself when you're a head coach. But you know what I mean? I just think that it's – I just think it's – it's. there's no excuse for that repeated pattern – uh, also, though, I mean, the players got themselves into this situation. Like, they played absolutely horribly. It was embarrassing. I I don't understand. You know, I have the Celtics going on one screen, the Knicks are on the other, and this I'm like, oh, cool, the Celtics just won. Like, they were comfortably up mostly 10 or 20 points the whole game. And then the Knicks are just, like, absolutely melting down. And people can't – people were talking about the officiating. Okay, sure, the officiating isn't going to give you 30 – points no not not on the night where overall like so Darius Garland finished the game with 32 points what did Levert Um, have Levert ended up with 24 points and so you had 
Role player going off, Karis LeVert with 24 off the bench, Garland getting hot, and you know Donovan Mitchell's going to have a couple of offensive explosion games. He's good for all those, but making sure, yeah, Darius Garland continues to go. That backcourt has been super potent for them all season long, and then to get a Karis LeVert game like that absolutely makes a world of difference. Absolutely understandable at home. That's where role players are supposed to do this stuff, but the Tibbs thing is interesting because we mentioned it's a pattern of behavior mm-hmm. and this postseason seems to be a lot of people with built up patterns of behavior yes. that just have us inclined to ignore it between this, which will be forgotten in a day because nothing yeah. came of it. Nothing happened between Draymond green, who it yep. doesn't sound like will be suspended for game three coming up tomorrow not, or tomorrow night or Thursday night. I forget which or tomorrow night is Thursday night. <laughs> Either way, game three coming up for them doesn't look like he'll miss mm-hmm. as Draymond Green does yet another kind of suspect thing in the postseason. And then Russell Westbrook yeah. going in and just getting into a verbal altercation with a fan on the way back to the court at the half was wild and seemed like such a blip on everybody's radar because Russ is this fiery competitor and we're used to him especially speaking up on apparently the fan in the area. So there's a small cut through from the locker room back to the court that apparently a lot of coaches and players use that does have some fan access over there. Mm -hmm. And they're not alone in that. There's plenty of stadiums, NFL stadiums, where have you walk right through a concourse with lots of fans. But apparently one of the fans yelled out Westbrook, which we've heard Russ in the past give very stern lectures about taking his name and twisting it up that way, even though he did shoot three of 19 in that game. And so he went over and started cussing out that fan and nothing's going to happen there, which I understand, but it's just amazing. We didn't even really talk about it all that much as a public because we're so used to Russ just being a guy that doesn't take any bleep from anybody. That's such a good point, Mike. All of these things, I I saw the the Russ clip and sort of scroll. I was like, oh, that's like, that's sort of weird. Why would you do that? And then kept scrolling. Like it didn't even register as as a reckless thing to do because i think a lot of this has been normalized in a way and i'm not saying it's good or bad like i'm not i have my own feelings about draymond which is that you know i don't think i can sit here and say that i love taunting or i love a competitive spirit or i love the wweification of sports and then say i hate draymond green i don't know draymond green i i can't have that kind of opinion on him yeah. i do hate when he harms other people like physically harms other people and then acts that way like for me there there is a line i understand why people love him i understand why the warriors love him i understand how he is a glue for that team how he inspires them with whatever he does i also understand that he punched his own teammate at a practice so it's like i i think the most fascinating thing in all of sports to me right now is Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green's relationship because they say they're very close. There are all these reports of how much they love each other and support each other. I personally know that if I were in their situation, I would be livid at him most of the time. So, it, But it's those sorts of things that we just have come to expect and accept and be like, Russ is going to go off on someone. Draymond's going to either like stomp on somebody's chest or kick somebody in the nuts. And then like Tibbs is going to leave his players in. Um, And that's a little, that's a little strange. The Draymond part of it is interesting because I did think a lot about that. And I saw a lot of people saying Draymond just wrote yet another check that 
Steph and Clay have to go out there and cash. And I think we all can kind of identify. We've all got a friend that's a wild card in our group. One who may, when you go out, push things a little bit too hard or engage in behavior that you wouldn't normally engage in, but then is like super sweet with everyone's kids. (laughs) You would trust with your life and is great with your parents. We've all got friends like that that have that one place they just feel like pushing it over the edge. But I'd imagine there do have to be some days where every once in a while they would like it to not be made harder than it is. And especially in this case, the rule of thumb generally tends to be in sports locker rooms. And I've heard this in college locker rooms, but definitely in pro locker rooms is I really don't care what you need to do Mm -hmm. as long as what you do gets you ready for the game. And as long as you handle your business when we're out there, whether that's at practice or in the game, I want you to be the most you possible if that's what allows you to play the best. But I also need you available. And for Draymond in that moment to get himself in the situation where they were right to throw him out and he gave them the opportunity to, now all of a sudden down the stretch, you missed one of your most important defensive pieces in a game that for a while looked like it could have been winnable when they were able to close that down into single digits. So... That's the part where all of a sudden, Draymond, as much as, you know, he went over and the rule is always back each other up in public and then in private kind of have the conversation. He can go over and hype up the crowd. He can go over there and be the heel and do all those things to try and fire up his team. But then it's got to be, hey, guys, that's, that's on me. I needed to be in the game. I needed to be available for you guys, and I wasn't. Yeah, totally. And, and I think that there is a, there's a level of bravado that I respect. I just think it's almost like he, I'm not even going to go into, I, I can't, Draymond is such an enigma to me um, in terms of how he's been able to, I guess it's like the price you pay almost for doing business with him. Like he'll, he'll win you championships. He's also going to maybe make you lose a game on the road to the Kings, which like if you weigh those two things out, you know, oh he's been way exactly. more good than harm for that. exactly yeah. exactly so i i who am i to sit here and say like i think that i think he can be mean you know um but it just seems like it takes it to this extreme which is which is also how i felt about tibbs i felt like that was mean i felt like it was embarrassing the whole thing was a little bit shameful like the the moment that julius randall fell by the bat or or slid off of um who was it that he went up against um, I'm blanking. I am the, whatever. The, he went up against the Cavs player and like sort of. Oh, Jared sl- Allen. Jared Allen, and like slid down his back. Meanwhile, like the Cavs bench is in. Robin Lopez with his like graying hair has made an appearance. I do appreciate that the Lopez's have distinguished so heavily among facial hair and hair on their head to make sure we know which Lopi is which. Exactly. I, I didn't even have to Google it. I was like, cool. <laughs> Um, but there's a moment where Randall, when he fell, you know, on his tailbone again, which we just watched Giannis do, which just seems like I know is the most painful thing because, like, I once tried skateboarding and just ate it. Um, but <laughs> he Randall's like next to the court, and there's a guy, a fan, I think. I don't think it was a media guy sitting there, and he's got jeans on. And I really clocked that because Randall like grabs this guy's knee. And he's like, it's like, it's his mom. He's like holding the guy's knee and the guy, the fan puts his hand on Randall's hand is in like, it's going to be okay, bud. And I was like, what on earth is happening? Get every call, mercy rule, get everybody off of this court. We'll, 
we'll see it we'll see in new york let's just let's clean charlotte that was deeply midwestern is what happened there that was was good old midwestern nice is that just am i is that like a cultural blind spot for me that i i'm so new england i can't imagine anyone just being like nice oh yeah no that's just that's like (laughs) fans in the midwest and this is the mo you get almost everywhere like i remember we went down and played on the road at oklahoma which is kind of a blind spot whether it's midwest or the south that was a running bit we did for our college football crew all this last year yeah because i think we did three games in oklahoma and no one really knows is oklahoma texas is it the midwest is it all technically the south i saw i saw you did a man on the street thing yeah and 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 it's very divided we never got consensus. Most yeah. people think it's just kind of Texas, which oh the irony, but <laughs> for this sake for the sake of this conversation, we will say Midwest sensibilities. Yeah. And it was our first time play, ever playing there during my time at Notre Dame. It was an environment where at that point I think Bob Stoops had only lost at home in his tenure like five times. Oh, it was man. a night game, college game day was there, the whole stadium was striped in their colors. It was awesome and we ended up beating them pretty good we put it on them that year that was one of the games where people started to really buy us and I remember my parents were walking out after and they said every single Oklahoma fan they went by nicest person in the world congratulated on the win what a great game like that's just sort of the midwestern mo what do you think is the correct do you think there is a correct way to be a fan in that sense like do you think it's like ride or die for your team where you're an asshole about it or because I've heard I feel like some of the arguments against being nice or like then you're not a true fan do you know I feel like I feel like maybe sports radio maybe like this whole business has has melted my brain to the point where I'm like can I even admit that I maybe have a little bit of a soft spot for the Knicks because I live in New York and love people who love the Knicks? Or am I just, does that mean I'm a bad Celtics fan? Does that mean I'm a horrible person? Does that mean I shouldn't have a job in sports? Like, where do we net out on this, Mike? Well, remember when the NFL did that commercial where the family was like a Ravens, Lions, Browns, Packers, yes. something family yes. because they all kept marrying <laughs> off? There's, I think there's limits, right? Like, Having one side team, pretty cool. Now, yours being in cities that are so diametrically opposed, that's a pretty tough one. I would say that one might be a little bit tough, but in general, having a side team, I don't think is all that bad. Okay, so I just want everybody then to tell me how brave I am for being willing to admit the truth that I think other people might feel and can't admit. I also don't like them in... Like I had, so I watched a Celtics game on Sunday and then went to, because I live in New York, a sports bar, they were playing the Knicks and everybody was erupting. Like the Knicks played great. They, you know, uh, oh my God, uh, Jalen Brunson's like actually showing that this could be the second coming of like, maybe there's something real here. People are feeling a way they haven't felt in decades at this point, if you're a Knicks fan. And I, it was so weird to be there as a Celtics fan surrounded by, cheering people because I was like I don't share in this like I don't I don't care if this guy just made a shot you know what I mean but sometimes it's just fun to run with the crowd in those moments though oh I did I I I wasn't like but I also was like I'm very conflict I'm very self-aware about I'm like self-conscious about this now and maybe I'm gonna have to write a substack about it maybe I'm gonna have to like tease some of this out and I would love to hear if anybody listening deals with this in their in their lives like do you especially like boston and new york people 
who are together or like who are best friends or who have a close relationship with like what are which, what are the lines which has to happen a lot it's called connecticut They're it's very- where all of them mash into each other i know from childhood so yeah anyone anyone who has got experience in having to love your rival or one of your rivals in some way, or at let least Charlotte like, know. Like, watch them and put up with it. I also think that the stakes are so low right now. Like, if if for some, if somehow the Knicks and the Celtics were to meet in the Eastern Conference Finals, it would be war. Like, I would be, there would be no well, doubt about what camp I'm in, but it's also complicated by the fact that the Knicks have been so bad for so long. And like, if new if New York basketball were good, it would be good for there. There are a lot of layers to this, Mike. This is like a parfait of a sports conundrum. And I know there are people listening who are about to like punch their phones because they can't believe I'm saying this because it's so obvious. And the answer is that you just straight up hate the other team. But let's be let's let's allow our brains to be galaxy for a moment. Well, see, I like I don't think that's always true because I think there's levels to all of it, right? Usually it has to do with what your interaction's been like with a fan base or with people directly associated with that. Like for me, when I was playing college football, I always hated Michigan more than everyone else because their players talked a level of shit that I don't yep. think they deserved based on how they were performing at that point. <laughs> and so that always got me more revved up to play them than let's say USC, who you could argue is a bigger national rival for Notre Dame. Michigan State, who's also got geographical ties, who we've actually played more historically than Michigan like I have no trouble rooting for Michigan State at certain junctures but it's a lot harder for me to admit nice things about Michigan Mm -hmm. you brought up one of the things that tends to alleviate that and it happened when I went to Michigan's campus this last fall to call a game is when you erase the distance between you realize there's a lot of similarities yeah and that's what happened when I walked around Ann Arbor is I realized oh this place is just like 3x South Bend in terms of size and volume but it's got a lot of the same Midwest sensibilities and lovely brick and great greenery on campus lovely it was all there it was beautiful foliage it was the Michigan Michigan State game too so we were right near the turn and I had to begrudgingly admit that they had a lovely campus and I actually had a really good time there, even though I have difficulty rooting for that football team when I'm not calling their games. Obviously, then right. I'm going to call the game. I'm going to do them justice. Of so course. that's probably the closest that I have to what that would be like is actual hatred, which as a player and as a fan I had for them mm-hmm. versus begrudging respect where if you go up against someone and you end up losing, you can kind of add a boy, one of the people on the other team. Like when I, when we Notre Dame played South Carolina in the bowl game, mm-hmm. I made friends with so many Gamecock fans <laughs> around me in this section. We were all giving each other unholy <laughs> amounts of shit, but having fun, buying each other beers. It was a great time. So that in mind, like when you get, when you erase all of the distance, then all of a sudden the lines can start to blur a little bit which you're engaged to. So that makes sense. Yeah. There's actually, you know, beef on Netflix is seems to, is sort of just about that. I've been, it's like two people who hate each other and end up being exactly the same. And it's like, well, 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 hello, Boston and New York. That's what I always say about long Island and Staten Island, but that's a story for another day, I guess. Um, At the wilder things on Twitter, help Charlotte out with this. uh, So she can flesh this out. All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? 
They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Um, Charlotte, speaking of assigning meaning to things, Mm -hmm. did you see Adam Silver came out talking more about this midseason tournament that he's been loving on for so long? I did. I did. For anyone that's unfamiliar with this, Adam Silver, when the new CBA got passed, got this midseason tournament where the league's divided into six pools of five teams. The pools will have four teams from the same conference. They're going to be designated days during the first six weeks of the season where the teams are going to play four group games. They'll play each other in that pool once, and then two games are at home, two games are on the road. The winner of each pool goes to a single elimination stage along with two wildcard teams. The semifinals and the finals are then going to be played at a neutral site, and the winning team, every player is going to receive five hundred grand each. Now, this is Adam Silver, in his mind, solution for trying to make regular season games more meaningful. He constantly cites European soccer, something we know Adam Silver's been a big fan of for a while, as the reason why he wants to do it. Charlotte, when I heard 500 grand, that's a lot of money for all of us. When I heard that for NBA players, I was like, why exactly are they going to give a shit about that? That's like what Draymond's going to get fined for stomping on sports. Right. <laughs> that's like, like that's like fun. That's like the jock tax to play a game in California. They just fined Mark Cuban a quarter of a million dollars more than that yeah. the other day for elite tanking very obviously at the end of the season. And again, for some players, like it's always different for some guys in the back end of the roster or any of the two-way guys maybe like that's still a significant amount of money, but let's be real. NBA's regular season success is about trying to coax your stars into playing more games. And I look at this and go, are the stars going to be required to play in these games? Like we've seen in the PGA where you've got certain tournaments now under their new structure where the top PGA players have to go and they get basically one miss. And then after that, it affects the bonus pool money that they could potentially collect. Because if you're not going to do that or you're not going to work scheduling wise with the teams so that you can time up with when their stars are going to play, I don't know if you're going to get anything that's going to grossly move the needle a lot more than what we've seen. I agree. It feels like um, a Band-Aid to a problem. It feels like um, giving a toddler candy that they don't really want when they have a tantrum instead of like addressing the cause of whatever is going on because the, the NBA is faced with such an existential problem in terms of load management and, you know, player... I don't want to, I don't like when people say like player entitlement or play, like player, player empowerment. empowerment. Yeah. 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 The, but all of these things have come together to make the regular season a problem. And, and it's a problem because, you know, obviously the arenas need money so that they can keep it. it it's like, how does Adam Silver, it, 
does he think he's fooling us? I think is my question. It feels like he thinks he's pulling one over on us by like talking about the colored jerseys they're going to wear when they play this tournament <laughs> instead of talking about like, okay, well, who's going to be required? Is there like, what if it, what if it was something a little more significant, like you're playing, you know, the way they try to do in the all-star game where they used to of like home field advantage in the playoffs. Like what if there were something a little more tangible that led to the thing these players care about, which is winning a championship. Like that's what that that's why it feels so completely disjointed from the actual end goal. The regular season exists for the playoffs, which exists to crown a champion, which is the thing that no matter how any much anybody says they don't care about their legacy. They do. And that's what you want. And the reason you play is because you want to win. So it's like, I don't quite understand how this fits in to that. And therefore I don't understand how it's actually a solution. Right. Cause like uh, breaking it down, like when you look at what makes a game actually matter, like what creates stakes enough in yes. there. So we've touched on a couple of them. There's gotta be some sort of either team goal, individual goal, financial goal, something there that's a driver. So a championship you can win at the end of the season, uh, you know, uh, an off season where you're eligible for a contract extension, any sort of bonus incentives, all of those things, there's gotta be a genuine rivalry. So teams that actually don't like each other, some sort of beef that we've seen pop up the Grizzlies versus basically everybody, but especially the warriors on and mm -hmm. on down the list. And then maybe limited quantity. Cause like that's where the NBA's yeah. regular season's in trouble. You mentioned they have to play these games to get to a championship. And we still have most of these teams, especially with veteran players who have been to the postseason, not actually giving a damn about the regular season. What makes you think they're going to give a damn? I saw Kevin Clark from the ringer talk about this about a trophy or a midseason tournament that's got no sort of history, no actual cachet built up amongst these players. It's not the same as what goes on when you've got, you know, the Champions League that takes place over the course of a season or you get the U.S. playing in a CONCACAF tournament or you get right. places where there's either you wrapped in the flag or real stakes in a tournament with actual history where you're playing teams from outside of your normal jurisdiction or outside of your normal league. None of those things are really going to exist here. So it's hard for me to really believe that all of a sudden, again, if the financial incentive, so we don't have the championship incentive that I think is going to matter as much, does this financial instead of move the needle enough for most of the guys that matter and i think the answer to that question is going to be no no because they can make that doing a state farm commercial for one day where it doesn't risk injury like it it, it also doesn't take into the to it just i don't know that's why i think what you just said of the the stakes not being high enough they're not being history it feels like he's trying to fool us somehow or like it feels like it's a thing manufactured for the fans that that maybe the NBA believes the fans are going to buy into this and therefore make it mean something like that's what I thought when he was touting the jerseys when he was talking about how it was going to work and who's going to play and what like what court you're going to be playing like that isn't stuff that in order for something to be truly enjoyable as a fan it needs to have buy-in the people who are doing it need to believe in it like you don't want to watch somebody half committed to anything um and so i just i think you could argue that what he's saying is like we are going to make something that has history like anything that has history started off as something that didn't like if you don't you know the sort of the towel of rick rubin of being like if you don't believe it'll never exist 
And it's like, sure, but I don't think this is the thing that that is going to apply to. No, I just, like, I, I was talking to someone the other day who brought up, like, it would be incredible if you could find a world where all of a sudden you brought in teams from international leagues, from other basketball leagues overseas yeah. that you got to play against these guys. Because we know one thing that drives most of these guys is an undying hatred, especially when we get to Team USA time, to losing to anyone abroad. We've seen whole yes. documentaries made about the teams <laughs> that had to recover from the shame of losing to some of the teams from other countries. And so things like that, which are never going to happen for all the injury reasons that you mentioned, because money's the motive in this league, lead back to this point. Fan buy-in to me, with some exceptions, right? We've seen Golden 1 in Sacramento. They love the hell out of their team. There are some markets where everyone's just going to show up. For the most part, especially for fan love and for the TV ratings portion of it, getting people to pay attention to the sport, it's about can I see the best players in yep. big-time matchups against the other best players? And if this isn't aligned with a way that works with teams, because as we know, most of the rest schedules are set by teams. They're set by the front offices at the beginning yeah. of seasons now who look at all right, what's this player, what's his injury history, how are we going to best manage over the course of the season so we can get to the playoffs. Unless you're working hand-in-hand -hand with that in some way or creating an incentive where they have to play, I, I just worry that this is going to be something that mimics an all-star game where people are only going to care so much, and that includes the players. You know what they should do is they should make it a tournament between you're only eligible if you're not a starter. They should make it like the battle of the greatest bench players where all of a sudden you have guys who have something really to prove either they're young or they're you know, been people have said they're washed up, like there's something at stake and then they get an NBA honor at the end of it's like instead of six men of the year being voted on, like you have to earn it. I I do love the idea as we also had um clutch player of the year given out to De'Aaron Fox, some new award that the NBA concocted that right. we could now add this to the list where it's not quite the G League players, but exactly. it's definitely not the starters. And we found that bridge program right in between. And like, let's just call it what it is, which is that the stars are not going to buy into this, but you know who might? Somebody who has something to win from like a lot of press exposure or all of a sudden it's like Mac McClung at the dunk contest. Like nobody <laughs> needed that more than he did. So like, <sighs> let's just lean in. That's my, I think I just fixed the NBA. It's going to, it's going to be Mac. Oh God, it's going to be, it's going to be all the bench white guys, isn't it? It's what uh, it's going to be. I, it's going to, well. you know what? You could call it bench mob, which is a cool name. And we <laughs> and they'd have the celebrations down cold because that's what they've been practicing anyway. And it yeah. honestly would be a good reminder. You do that. And then also tie it full back, fully back into what we were talking about. Every game, bring one fan out and put them on a team. There, One done. fan has to play on each team from each opposing fan base, so you get a full appreciation because it's the <laughs> Brian Scalabrini effect where he used to go yeah. to gyms and run one-on-one -on -one against random people that would talk shit thinking they could beat him just because he was redheaded and white, and he yeah. would just cook these dudes. We need that for the fans that were out there talking to Russell Westbrook. Get them out yeah. there. Get them suited up with the guys at the end of the bench who they think, oh, I'm better than that. I was one high school knee injury away. And then pros versus Joe's are asses into oblivion. And it's only one so that you feel the shame as acutely as possible. Only yes, one exactly. fan. 
One one guy, you've got like Carl from finance or Carl from accounting on one side going up against a guy who owns an auto body shop on the other side. And yes. they're not allowed to check each other. They've both got to guard and be guarded by an NBA <laughs> player. And then we let them go. It would be amazing. to. There we go. Adam Silver, we have fixed the midseason tournament for you. Please credit um, us. Yes, please credit us. Five hundred grand might not be a lot to the NBA players. It's a lot to me. So if you could just send some cash our way when this makes you literal millions and hundreds of millions of dollars, thank you. We would appreciate it very much. I will send you my ACH number so you can begin the transfer of <laughs> funds. Um, Charlotte, uh, yes. sound the trumpets. It's horse racing time. So saddle up for the action with DK Horse, an official DraftKings affiliate. Right now, new customers who download the DK Horse app can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250. Just deposit $25 or more and complete the playthrough requirement. Wager on your favorite horses, then watch the races live right in the app. Download the DK Horse app now. New customers get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250 when they opt in with code GOLIC. Only on the DK Horse app. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER, 18+, plus in certain states, to open or access an account and resident of a state where DK Horse is available. Eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. One per new customer. Match calculated on first deposit up to a maximum of $250. Deposit requires two-time playthrough of settled wager within 168 hours. Bonus released in $25 increments. Deposit and eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at dkhorse.com. I did want to give you, before we uh, wrap up the podcast, a chance because Mina Kimes and I did the Love is Blind recap podcast yesterday here. Everyone, thank you for listening to that. But Charlotte, I saw you wrote about it on the Substack. And as the arbiter of what is and isn't sports, you're, mm-hmm. I, I think another one of the roles that you're great at, was thank born you. out of reality television being sports. You yeah. have declared the Love is Blind season four live reunion officially not sports. Why? Not sports at all, Mike. Um, first of all, I loved listening to you and Mina talk about it. Um, the behind the scenes intrigue, and I mentioned this to you earlier, but um, the fact that Chloe from The Perfect Match was the one who was up there saying, please don't tweet about this, or like, this is embargoed. The thought of Chloe from Perfect Match saying the word embargoed is one of the funniest things I can imagine. Um, it wasn't sports because, first of all, it wasn't live. We know this. Um, And it was also very bad. And I didn't even feel like there were very high stakes. I didn't feel like there was anyone I could really root for. I didn't feel it wasn't fun for me. Like I I saw, I think the thing that would best sum this up, and I love how you and Mina dissected it and, and talked about Zach overall winning the reunion, which I don't even, I'm gonna be honest, I don't know that I fully agree with you guys because I think Zach... I think the problem with the Love is Blind reunions is twofold. One, they seem to tape them all in one take, whether they are live or not, from previous seasons. And Andy Cohen, the king of reunions, Bravo's Bravo's golden ticket, He, I heard a clip of him talking about reunion shows, and he said, we would never in a million years do one live. He said, "We we could talk for an hour about one dumb topic before we get to something even remotely worth diving into. Or I could say one thing off the cuff that suddenly brings up a bunch of emotion that we need to get through. And they're long. Like, the tapings are long. They give it time. They let it percolate. And then they edit together the best stuff. And I think my point was in what I wrote was that these are – 
you know, quote, normal people, I think you have to be a little bit on the wacky side to agree to sure. have your life filmed. Yeah. Um, it, it almost seems less about love or less about fame and more about like what trauma can you put up with being exposed for on national television. And the, I think Love is Blind is like the most watched reality show in the world now. Um, and they literally take normal people like Dennis from marketing and just put him in a pod and then suddenly make him one of the most famous people in the world. And I'm like, what are we doing? You know, like, and I, and forgive me if anybody read my, read my thing, which, you know, I'm sure everybody listening did, but the, the reason sports are so wonderful is because you're watching the best of the best. And if you're not you, that's why you're there. You know, like college sports can be wonderful because they allow for these absurd moments, but there's still such a high level of skill and what we're watching when you watch the actual show is this edited together, very carefully constructed. You know, they'll shoot 300,000 hours. I don't know how many hours are in a year, whatever. Yeah. Like four weeks, wall to wall. And then we see 12 of those hours of, you know, 20 different people. And so I think that they didn't account for the fact that these are not people who are trained to talk publicly, as yeah. we have somehow found ourselves doing. They are not... Um, elite at this. Vanessa Lachey clearly doesn't know how to steer a ship of this um, magnitude or unwieldiness. And so it seemed like everybody was kind of set up to fail. And that the good, the quote, the good guys, like the ant, I always end up hating them by the end of the reunion because they're going so hard. They're like, you were an awful person. And everybody around them is like, yes, queen, go off, tell her how bad she was. And then I end up feeling so bad for the person who was the quote villain, whose life we only saw a sliver of that. I'm like, what is even happening? I will say, I feel like that's where this reunion differed a little bit because okay. the only person who was quote unquote villain status on this that I think really, and we talked about this, got held accountable was arena. Yeah. Micah got to skate. Jackie didn't even have to show up or did chose not to show up. However, that went down and got a nice cushy interview with Vanessa that yeah. was edited, gave her pretty, a pretty favorable light. And then you had Paul who was basically resisting the urge to throw Micah even more under the bus when he was getting prompted about why he didn't think she was a good mother and why she wasn't nurturing and all these things, it felt like they actually pulled back from a lot of that in a way that actually left me wanting a little bit for some of these people who had their transgressions out here to get a little bit more accountability for what they had done. Yeah, no, I totally see that. I, I guess the whole thing, it's not so much that I think that's sort of an overarching problem with them for me that I end up sure. just feeling like, okay, we get it. Um, I also think people are so complicated that I don't, and I don't know what I believe from what I was shown. You know, people are saying Micah only wanted to get famous. Micah never intended to marry Paul. Either she's an unbelievable actor and should probably pivot careers yeah. and go into being a dramatic actress, or she was actually really upset and overwhelmed by a lot of that stuff. And I think that those real it, it it's impossible to know what's real so we're basically we're treating at the reunion we're treating people whom we knew as characters from what was presented to us as though that were the absolute truth and then forcing them to answer to it in a way that they almost don't even know how to begin 
to talk about it because they can't throw production under the bus and say like, well, this was edited this way. They're not going to throw themselves. I would respect it so much more if someone was just like, yeah, you know what? If Mike was like, yeah, I was never going to marry Paul. Just tell us the truth. Netflix is still trying to do this like fourth wall thing where they don't talk about production. The fact that you guys said they told you you weren't allowed to tweet about it as it was happening, which would have been the best possible PR to get people to watch it the next day. It's like they are resisting the truth of what this thing has become, which is there is no fourth wall anymore. And just you have to lean into that. Yeah, it's you saw the parts where it bumped up against that a little bit and there were some allusions to the editing and some allusions to what part of this was production and just how much we don't see like you said the tip of the iceberg model that we were getting the one use that i think the one utility that this definitely has that got a little bit curbed by the host was it does give some of these people a chance to fill in the things that we didn't see zach did do a good job of that talking about car rides with micah you know paul bringing up the fact that they dated a little bit after because it's also been a year watching these people try and (laughs) recollect stuff that they've watched back of their lives but trying to remember things that happened a year i can barely remember things that happened a week ago i can barely remember the stuff about college football that i lived on a day-to-day basis and the basis for my job now so i'm sympathetic to the fact that some of this stuff like tiff and brett uh, brett and tiffany just looked like they were checked out like they didn't want to have to deal with any of this stuff anymore they're happy they're far too normal for all of this and so i could understand and empathize with that a little bit totally and i i liked what you and mina said about how they were they they almost didn't want the positive attention either. And I don't know, I've experienced in my career like some internet dust-ups where I've been the bad guy and some internet dust-ups where I've been the good guy. And no matter what, it's sort of embarrassing and feels gross, I think. I, right. I, I, at, a, I don't... at a certain point, you're all covered in mud. Exactly. It's like, you get it. We get it. Like this, And, so, and I think that they... It's a weird thing to suddenly be that public for all of them, but it's also hilarious that they've been in hiding for a year and now all of a sudden they're public about something that happened so long ago. And that, I don't know, the whole, it it really, it, it shook me a little bit, I think, because the reunion was not well done. I think, I think you're right. I think Zach, as to the best that he could, he really tried to say, you were much meaner than anybody saw. Um, but I don't think besides that, um, you know, Marshall saying he felt robbed by the experience that Jackie didn't want to go to the altar. I was like, oh, you wanted to get left at the altar? Like that was part of your vision for this? Like you felt robbed that she wasn't there? And I understand wanting that accountability. Um, but the whole thing was just so disjointed and maybe everybody was rattled, but I hope for the next season that they do a reunion where they tape it before and they just really get into it and people don't hold back. Like, just tell us how you feel. I think that was my main problem. Nobody, everybody was sort of normal in that they weren't totally willing to go there and you kind of have to. Yeah, I, I I think that's definitely one thing because the season itself, season four, was a triumph. It was probably my favorite one so far. It yielded you three actual couples that got married yeah. at the end. And so it does deserve more on the back end. So hopefully they get that right before next year uh, as we get going. I forget where they've taped already, if it's like D.C. or Charlotte or... Uh, something I thought in that I heard game, Tampa, but... but maybe that was a joke. Oh, I did. I did. I think I did hear Tampa. You might be right about that one, which God help Mike, us all. When if are Tom, they going to do? If... Oh, 
Sorry, go if ahead. Tom Brady walks into the pods in Tampa, <laughs> I swear to God. Mike, when are they going to do Boston? Oh, That would buddy. be the funniest episode. That would be the funniest season that would be, I would I would pay a lot of good money for them to set a, a what are, one in I'm Boston to think or of like Buffalo, of like the, a thick regional accent. I was just gonna say that's what it is. Is I was looking and trying to think of what would the best cities be, and it's absolutely ones where you've got a very specific regional dialect and where <sighs> sports like run the culture. Charlotte, go all the way back to your idea. You do Love is Blind, but you do it where you have fans from opposing franchises. Yes. I think this was the reality show that you sort of came up with on here, a rivalry-based reality show, yes. Love is Blind style, where they cannot talk about the sports team that they root for, and then all of a sudden when they get out, they've got to cope with that reality as they're then thrust into the sporting event. I think that's what you came up with. Yes, yes, and like maybe you luck out and there are two Cowboys fans who fall in love, but like... Maybe you end up with an Eagles and a and a Giants fan together. It, it's oh. it's the the possibilities are you get sports, you get love, you get. I mean, I'm giving away so many good ideas for free this I know. week. We've we've got to cut this off now to make sure that we don't give away any more gold. Again, Netflix, you've got our information, and if you don't, at Gojo Show on Twitter at the Wilder Things. Yeah, Let's we're talk. here. We're here to help you. M- NBA commissioners, reality television show producers, you want dynamic, we're chameleons. And Charlotte. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. We're chameleons that are going to get everyone out here on a positive note. Let's get to this, that, and the third. Three quick ones to end the day on for everybody. And this was really good news out of the NFL. And I think news that surprised a lot of people. Damar Hamlin, uh, who just three and a half months ago suffered commodio cordis that caused him to collapse on the field in that game against the Cincinnati Bengals, has been officially cleared and announced that he is plans on making a comeback to the NFL after being officially cleared. How did that sit with you, Charlotte, after everything that we saw? Um, I think... I want to be careful in how I answer this because I want to honor what DeMar wants. And if for him, the ultimate triumph would be to continue doing the thing he loves. And if that is, if not being afraid, if not making it make him timid, if if feeling like he got this far, he has so much to prove, he can still play. If that's what in his heart is what's going to fulfill him then I wish him only the best. I think that players should be in charge of, 
I, I don't want to sound like I'm judging his decision. I think it sat weird with me. I'm going to be honest. I think um, I have a hard time imagining myself going back and doing that. So it's sort of a leap for me to get there. But, you know, if I think about the thing I love doing most, almost taking my life, what is life if you don't keep doing it? You know, I think all I can do is say that I, that I admire it. If, if that is truly what is going to make him happy. I, I do think that what we saw was so scary that it, is naturally going to be jarring to see somebody put themselves again in that situation. But it was also such a freak thing that could happen in any sport to anybody at any time that it it's, it's understandable that you knew the risk before. So you, you keep going after. Yeah. The condition, according to the American Heart Association, extremely rare consequence of blunt force trauma to the heart that happens at exactly the wrong time in the rhythm of the heart, causing it to stop beating effective, beating effective. So like you talked about, it's like a lightning strike. It's incredibly rare to think about. And he said, this event was life-changing, but it's not the end of my story. My heart is still in the game. I love the game. It's something I want to prove to myself, not nobody else. And I'm going to be fascinated to watch this because we heard Zion talk about the mental hurdle coming back from injury. I can't imagine what it's going to be like when he suits up in pads. It's one thing to talk about it, but to go out there and to be back in that same position. And I'd be curious to hear him talk about it because we remember hearing the story. He went down and then woke up in the hospital. And the next time he woke up, he asked, did they win? Like that was the first thought that came to his head. And I had a close friend of mine who was in a really bad skiing accident and mm-hmm. almost died. And the six months later, as he made it out, full recovery was all good. I saw him back on the mountain and I texted him. I was like, is that scary at all for you? He says, I don't remember the accident. I don't remember what happened there. Wow. And so I don't have that innate fear of what goes on because it has something I've done for so long. And I'd be very curious for Damar Hamlin, what his experience remembering that event is like, because if the moment isn't something that is conscious in your mind or in the back of your head, it might blunt that in a way that's a bit different than a player who suffered, you know, and while they're not as severe, none of the things I'm going to talk about are as severe life-wise, but mm-hmm. for an athlete's mind, having reconstructive surgery on a knee or a shoulder where all of a sudden this thing you've been used to using, you can't use in the same way. And when you go back to do the thing that you were doing, you're not able to in the same way. You've got to think about it a little more. I'll be curious if those thoughts creep in because that's going to be the hurdle for him. It doesn't sound like physically he's going to have limitations if he's been cleared. It's all going to be what he can account for mentally. And man, I'm rooting for the guy. Like you said, if he wants it, go get it, man. This is your life. He's If anyone's got an appreciation for how quickly it can be taken away it is Damar Hamlin and that's what he's shown people and he wants to go chase the dream good for him yeah I I also will be interested to see how many outlets race to do the first feature on him and I yeah I hope that he's able to um I sometimes feel weird when people come back from a trauma like this or or something and all of a sudden they're a poster child for something for someone else's agenda and i just hope that he's able to work through it and i'm not saying like oh the media is the problem i'm part of the media i you know but but i i do i i guess i hope that he's able to um come to terms with it himself 
um, and and really figure out how it feels before he has to um, tell tell his story, I guess. Yeah, I, I, you hope it gets to be his own. I think that's yes. all we can hope yes. for anybody, and certainly for someone who's been through as much very publicly as Damar's been. You're right, it's going to be uncomfortable for us. The same way watching Alex Smith go back out there and get sacked yeah. by Aaron Donald in his first game returning to play after everything we saw his leg go through, it's going to be, I'm sure, weighing maybe even more on fans than Damar, who's going to be back out there doing the thing that for 25 years of his life he's trained and dreamed of doing at the highest level. Um Charlotte, let's get to that, which mentions one of his teammates in Buffalo, Von Miller. Really interesting article about Von Miller and his quest, his stated goal to become an NFL GM later in his career. Apparently, he has talked about this with Brandon Bean, the GM of the Buffalo Bills, who's brought him to the combine, helped him go through the meeting process, said Von has asked a lot of really detailed questions, and this wasn't just a one-off conversation. So Von Miller, who I think described himself as a football player, a chicken farmer, and and a hopeful GM. How does that sound to you, Charlotte, adding that title for a guy who's been one of the best pass rushers in the sport? I think it sounds great. I've interviewed him a few times, and he's always struck me as very curious um, and with a playful quality to him that I think would be super helpful to have in... Um, first of all, I just think anytime players who have been... Whether you played you know, two snaps in the NFL or whether you've been the leading pass rusher, what, whatever level of play you have, you understand what it takes. You understand whether you never saw the field, like you have an understanding of what players need um, that I think is so valuable when you marry it with what the business needs. And just to have somebody in there who, and not to say that everybody who has been through it ends up advocating for other people who are currently going through it. I think that that's often um, an easy way to also brush aside criticism, be like, well, we have a former player in here. Like we didn't do anything wrong, but I do think that hopefully in the best case um, you've got someone in there with just a complete other set of um, a completely different skill set and knowledge base. Um, and I just, I don't know. I love when people are, willing to say what they want and then ask for help and ask for questions as to how do I do this? Because I think a lot of times people assume that you're supposed to know how to do the thing you want to do, or you're supposed to just figure it out yourself. And that is not how anything works. And the fact that Von Miller's out there being like, hey, while I have you, um, can you take me with you? Is I think that takes a lot of courage. It does, and I'm glad he's also doing it, and we see more guys doing it while they're still playing. Like, yes. we've seen former players become GMs, right? You've had John Elway, Ozzie Newsom was a Hall of Famer and one of the greatest that we've seen, and that perspective, like you said, is something Brandon Bean cited. He said he's going to be able to talk to guys about things in the locker room that me and other guys would never be able to approach in the same way because we don't have that same vantage point. But the difference is saying it and getting a start on it while you're a player. It's the number one thing they tell you at all the rookie symposiums and everything when you're coming into the NFL is you're never more valuable to your next employer than while you're currently employed here because everybody wants an NFL player around everybody wants a pro athlete around everyone wants something that's something someone that's something else right now because yeah. it makes them cool by proxy there's an added benefit and a glow for them and while this is inside the sport it does say a lot about Von Miller and about a lot of players in the way they start to think about life after football it's really healthy and probably wouldn't have happened 
happened X amount of years ago because for so long, and this is a credit to Brandon Bean too, a lot of organizations are like, this is a transaction. We need you, especially Von Miller, who we paid a ton of money to, who ended up injured last season, to be back out on the field doing everything you can towards that end. Seeing everyone involved in this situation, and I get he's a star. People are more willing usually to help out those guys who are the big name guys, veterans, future Hall of Famers, but... To still do that is a leap that I don't think we would have seen always years and years ago when this would would have potentially gone on. No, I think that's right. I also, I know I've talked about this before, um, but when I profiled Chris Long in 2017, when he was, I I had, we had already set up this article I was going to write about him and I show up and it was the day that he decided he, that he was announcing he was giving all of his game checks to charity. And I know I've mentioned this story before because he talked a lot about the void of what comes after you play. Um, But he also said something that has stuck with me just in way more aspects than simply sports or simply athletes. Um, He was like, I said, why are you doing this now? And he said, I'm doing it now because once I stop playing, nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to pay attention, even an iota, the amount they will pay attention if I, a current NFL player who won a Super Bowl recently, last year, gives all of my game checks to charity. And I just remember thinking, oh my God, the self-awareness it takes to understand your value in that moment. And I think it's just something that no matter what your role is... um, to know the the social capital or the power that you have and then act responsibly instead of manipulatively. And um, I just think it's nice, as you said, to see people in the organization respecting that as much as, as fans or people outside of the organization might. Yeah, it, it, incredibly well put. It's very cool for Vaughn. So excited to watch the trajectory because everyone that was cited in this article, I think it was on Bleacher Report, basically echoed the same sentiment. He seems dead serious about this. He's not joking. He's taking this legitimately. And that authenticity in the approach is something that I think also makes people more inclined to respect and want to help out. Also, Von Miller, born the exact day after me. Same year. How about that? Yeah, March 25th, 1989. March 26th, 1989. Damn, there we go. 89, baby. Stand up. God, it's humbling to know that Von Miller is our same age and has accomplished so, so much. Uh, So let's get to young people and feel less bad about that and get to the third. This one, big news. We have had an offseason in the WNBA that's netted us a couple of super teams in Las Vegas and New York. College basketball on the women's side may now be giving us some of that said same goodness (laughs) because I saw, and I believe this was courtesy of On3, that Haley Van Lith, former Louisville basketball star who entered the transfer portal, is heading on a visit to LSU for uh, sources converbed to, yeah, Bengal Tiger On3. She was all ACC the past two seasons, LSU the current reigning national champions. Charlotte, this got the making of some college basketball super team. And as we get ready to welcome Paige Beckers back to the sport next year, Caitlin Clark at Iowa back to the sport, women's basketball on both levels has star powers and bundles in a way that I love. I am so excited. I saw somebody comment, she's the Kevin Durant of women's college basketball. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is growth. it's it's incre- it is it is growth first of all it's growth um but i said the other day i forget who i was talking to it was just a random private conversation and i was like god i when haley van lith entered the transfer portal i was like oh i hope she goes to lsu i was just like all i want is for 
Angel Reese and Haley Van Lith to go up against Caitlin Clark. And I mean, imagine that like the the it's so good. It's so and then I as you said, Paige comes back in. Obviously, South Carolina and the Stanfords of the world, like you're always going to have these real contenders. But the fact that we have these these petty moments to build something dynastic off of, um, I just couldn't be more excited. I oh, really hope I, she goes there. I really hope she ends up at LSU. I want it mic'd up so I can hear him, her and Kim Mulkey interacting because I feel like be pretty. <laughs> there's a lot of edge to both of them in a way that's going to cause a level of friction that I am going to want to hear as a viewer. So we will send prayers up for that. We'll keep an eye out for that. They're all going to lose to Notre Dame anyway when they're healthy next year. So <laughs> okay. good luck playing for second place, y'all. Good luck talking, topping this podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review. Leave us a five-star rating. Check us out on the draft. DraftKings YouTube channel under the Gojo of Michael Jr. tab. Follow her on Twitter at The Wilder Things. Check out her Substack, thewilderthings.substack.com. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Boom. Money in the bank.